to see all of you again this Sunday, and uh, we're really excited about our app on uh, your smartphone. This is a way in which you can follow along, and take notes, and uh, it's a way to connect. So your connection card is on there. Uh, please communicate with us through this app. And of course, there are ways to volunteer, and if you on the home page, click on the volunteer part, you'll find Mum Circle Child Care Volunteers. And I just want to highlight this because it's one of our ways in which we reach into our community. And when mums come with their children and you look after their children, you're allowing a mom to have unhurried time to connect with others. And so it's not just the morning you're helping, but you will have a lasting legacy as this is one of the first steps that people make it into Circle Drive Church. And Thanksgiving is coming up. One of our partners, City Center Church, needs volunteers. And if you've done that before, and you have done that with your family, you know it's a lot of fun. And we serve dinner to the inner city, and we also provide the turkeys here from this church. And so it's a great way to partner with our uh, downtown core, with those who uh, live with a little less than, than the resources that we have. And so if you can volunteer, just click on City Center Church Volunteering, and it will lead you, it will prompt you to sign up, and it's just that easy. So if this old guy can do it, you can do it too. Now, if on the bottom of your app, you'll see home. Next to that is media. Just click media. At the top is what's wrong with God, which is our current series. And then today's date, when God is late. Click on that and click on message notes, and you can follow along this morning. You'll also see your, dis your circle group discussion guides there. So everybody has access to them, and everybody can be in a circle group. And the circle group leaders are meeting later at the end of this service. And so we're already into this uh, great fall season. Well, today I'm wrapping up this series called What's Wrong with God? And we explored the idea that we sometimes experience frustration with God due to unanswered prayers or difficult circumstances. And I think that's a universal idea that we sometimes struggle with God. We feel frustration with Him. We wonder if He's at home and ever listens to us. I have tried to, in the last weeks, help us understand that we don't have to lose faith over difficult circumstances. We explored the idea that when God does not intervene the way we pray, the way we hope and expect, some of us look internally and we say to ourselves, what's wrong with us? And I take responsibility, my part as a pastor, I sometimes have communicated that God's always attentive, he's always on time, and he always answers your prayers, and life is good if you just follow Jesus. And so, if it's not working out, then there's something wrong with you. You got to pray more. You got to 
confess more. You got to read your Bible more. You got to give more money. Please. You got to do this. And then God will answer your prayers. But then sometimes when you've done all of that, you've done everything necessary that you've been taught all through your life, and God doesn't come through. At some point, you turn from inward to outward and you say, what's wrong with God? If he's all-knowing and all-powerful, why doesn't he come through for me? Why does he not answer my prayers? Why doesn't he change my circumstances? And so it might be fun to begin with a question. And we all ask this, whether we are people of faith or people of another faith. The question is, why doesn't God do something about that, whatever that is? And isn't it interesting that we don't have to think too long about what that is? Now, don't look at the person next to you, but you may be sitting next to that, right? You're wondering, why doesn't God do something about that? Or maybe it's someone in your office or someone in the homeowners association or it might be a medical report and you're thinking, why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't he intervene? Now, when that, the that is personal, it's a big deal. And I want to do my best to help maintain, help you maintain your faith and press on, even though you don't understand why God doesn't some, do something about that. Jesus was concerned about this question, so he created a that. He created a circumstance so people would understand how to respond. He created a drama so that we would know how to respond to God when God won't do something about that. And how can you continue to trust God? The story is found in John chapter 11. It's in your notes. And most of us know the story. But I want you to do something this morning. I want you to pretend that you've never read this story before, that it's brand new to you. So in the last weeks, we've explored the idea that we can experience God as inattentive, uncooperative, and late. So we're going to look at this story this morning where Jesus was friends with three people in the story. He knew their names. He stayed with them often. He loved them. And they had this experience with Jesus when he was late and they needed him most. Now, at the end of this message, you won't feel any better. Trust me. This is about when you go through stuff and you're hanging by a thread. You can know there were other people who Jesus loved and went through similar stuff too, and they did not lose their faith. So let's experience this story for the first time together. 
It begins in verse 1 of chapter 11 of John. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So when the people uh, heard this story the first time, they, they knew who these people, they would say, oh, oh, that Mary. They lived a few kilometers from Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, this Mary, now there were many Marys at the time in the Bible, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So they, they knew exactly which Mary this was. They had heard this story. It had, it had snowballed through the community, and everybody had heard about this story throughout the region. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, who happened to be about a day and a half walk away from Bethany at the time, and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, how would you like the name, the one the Lord loved? That was Lazarus's name tag. So they sent this message to Jesus, knowing that Jesus healed strangers. He healed a Roman soldier, uh, someone that he knew. He had, he had healed Gentiles with a touch of, of the healing. They had seen Jesus with a long line of people in the hot sun waiting for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to touch them. So this was a no-brainer for Mary who sent word. And verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. So next, Jesus will create a category for us. It says in the verse, no, it is for the glory of God so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So here's the new category. Sickness for God's glory. So why is Lazarus sick? Well, for God's glory. Uh, we don't like to accept that because we say, wait a minute, sickness is a bad thing. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is sickness for God's glory. Now, that's uh, hard to put our minds around. In verse 5, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So why is John repeating this statement in just these first five verses, because you're not going to believe what happens next. You just won't believe if he loves her, he allows this. In fact, what happens next will lead you to believe that Jesus did not love Lazarus, Mary, or Martha. So hang on to this statement. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was Two more days. What? He hears that the one that he loved was sick, so why wouldn't he drop everything at that moment to help the guy whose name tag is the one that Jesus loved? Instead, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, let's go to Starbucks. And so they, for two days, 
they had enough lattes and, you know, conversation, and they're talking and laughing and having some fun. And then in verse 7, it says, he said to his disciples, after two days, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back. Verse 8, they said, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Implication, when they stone you, sometimes they miss and they hit us. And so we really don't want to go back to Bethany because Jews are waiting there to stone you. And vicariously, we get it. So they're acting like, they're pretending like they're looking out for Jesus. They're protecting him. But really, they're trying to wimp out on going where they are at risk. Verse 9. And Jesus answered them, are there not 12 hours of daylight? What is he saying? Now, what's he talking about? It's like they say something to him and he's changing the subject. But this is so brilliant. This is brilliant because Jesus is about to do some teaching. And when you read the whole story, it will become evident what Jesus is talking about. He says, anyone who walks in the daytime will stumble, for they see by this world's light. This is so profound. Verse 10, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So what Jesus is saying is that there are 12 hours of daylight, and he's talking about opportunity. When the sun is up, you have opportunity. But when the sun is down, you lose your opportunity. What Jesus is saying is, guys, when I'm here, when I am with you, I am the light and you have opportunity. When I leave earth, the sun will go down, the light will go out, and you will be in darkness. So if you follow me into Judea, I'm about to give you a candle. And you will have this candle and you will carry it the rest of your lives in the darkness of life. I will introduce you to something that you will not learn in any other way. Verse 11, he says, after this, he said, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. The fever will break. He'll be fine. Just let him sleep. Don't bother waking him up. Don't we all give God medical advice? We try to remind him what he should be doing. God, heal Uncle Frank's toe. You know that relationship needs to come back together. Open the eyes of that blind guy. Help him to see how stupid he is. And we're always giving God medical advice. We tell God what should happen. But in this case, the motivation of the disciples was that they didn't want to be placed in danger. They didn't want to get stoned. Verse 13 Jesus had been speaking of his death, Lazarus' death, 
But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus makes what is possibly the most insensitive statement in the entire Bible. It's so unbelievable. No one would make this up. You ask me why I believe the scriptures are true. It's because it is unscrupulously uh, honest. It tells you all of the warts. And so here's what Jesus says. He turns to his followers and says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Wait a minute, Jesus. You let Mary and you let Martha nurse your, their brother until he died? There was no morphine. There was no uh, sanitized face in which he could be cared for. You did not go there on purpose and you state you're glad you weren't there for the one that you love. What are we to learn from this? And then verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, and this is kind of funny what, what he says, because there's always someone who's a melancholy in your life, isn't there? Someone to always tell you what's going to go wrong, right? Uh, it's a sunny day. Oh, yeah, it's going to be. And they have something that there's always something, and that was Thomas. He saw the dark side, and he said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. <laughs> okay, Lazarus is dead, the Jews are going to stone you, and the, we may as well die too. All right, so it goes on. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, here is where we must pause and reflect that Lazarus died without morphine or oxygen or in a hospital. They really didn't know what, they would, that what uh, Lazarus was dying of. And Mary and Martha would have been by his side comforting him, wiping the sweat from his brow and, and you know, talking to him and saying, just hang in there, Lazarus. Jesus is coming. He'll be here soon. Don't worry, he'll touch you. I mean, after all, he's healed all these people, and you're the one he loves. So just hang in there, Lazarus. It won't be long. They had no medicine to give him. All they could do is assure him that Jesus, who healed strangers, even Roman people, was most certainly on his way to touch the one that he loves. And they waited and waited and waited and they watched Lazarus die and the community you know they knew Jesus was about to come and they waited and they waited and still no Jesus so the people in charge of these things in Bethany came to Mary and Martha and they said we have to bury your brother right it's just part of our law part of our custom and so they didn't want to bury Lazarus, but because Jesus was on his way and, and 
They had absolute faith in Jesus, the miracle worker. But they had to bury Lazarus, and he's in the tomb for four days. Because uh, this is important because they believed at that time that the Spirit hovered over the body for three days. And then the face began to change because of the light and air and as it was exposed. So the text is saying that he's beyond the three days. The Spirit has lifted and Jesus did not make it. And there is no hope for Lazarus. He's in the tomb. And people looked at Jesus on his arrival and they were thinking to themselves and probably whispering to each other, how pathetic. He heals everybody, strangers, and here's the guy that he loved, and he doesn't even show up for his funeral. Who kind of a Messiah is this? It was an insult. And now Jesus has the nerve to step foot in Bethany. Verse 18, it reemphasizes Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, probably, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Why did Mary stay at home? Because she was ticked. She was mad at him. You could have, you should have. You do it for everybody else. I would have, you don't kind of God are you? You don't love us. You love strangers. You love the Romans. You love Gentiles more than us. Now Martha ran out and falls at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is your fault, Jesus. You could have prevented this from happening. Verse 22 but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And this is the moment that we identify with, right? We're at the funeral and we try to comfort and we say, you know, he's in a better place. He's out of his suffering. You will see him again. And Martha is thinking, Jesus is getting all theological here to comfort her, but Jesus looks at her in the eyes and he says something that only a crazy person would say or the Son of God. And he looks at this angry, confused, emotional woman. I don't know if any of you have seen one of those. Uh, and talk to one of those at that, uh, never. And he knows this woman loved her brother, and she thought she knew the character of Jesus. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asked her a question, and I think he asked this question of every one of us here this morning. He asked the question, and it will mean different things to different people at different stages of life. 
It is easier to answer this question when you're 5 or 15 or 35, but it is more difficult when you're about to bury somebody you love who has suffered through a difficult period of life. Jesus asked, do you believe this? And Martha, after all that you've experienced, knowing that I could have prevented this from happening, do you still trust me? Do you still believe I am who you thought you were, I was, even though you experienced this tragedy? It is unbelievable that this is in the Bible, that Jesus would set this up for our sakes and for their sake and for our sake. And in verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And she kind of goes into this theological uh, reflection, kind of like the song that we sung this morning, I Believe. It's kind of like she's reciting the creed. And, and then Mary, uh, rather Martha went up to get Mary to ask Jesus, where were you? We needed you here. My brother is dead. And here's Jesus' response. Verse 32, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Now, John records something here in this text that helps us understand that when you are going through a difficult time in life, even though God could have, would have, should have, when he chooses not to, he is not distant. God has the ability to enter in to your pain and even when he doesn't answer the way we wish, John says this in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And God is not too big or too distant to enter into our pain. And when you understand, when you suffer and don't understand and feel abandoned by God, God enters in and leans into your world. And he says, I know, I understand. And verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And they saw Jesus outside the tomb. He's crying. Verse 37, it says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Why didn't he do anything about Lazarus? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's an odor. Now I think the next statement, she was kind of twisting the knife on Jesus. Jesus knew the time frame. But anyway, she says, for it has been four days. Four days, Jesus, you weren't here. I heard you were in Starbucks. I love how Jesus responds. Verse 40. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, 
you will see the glory of God. Did I not tell you? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Okay. So this whole thing is about whether we trust or not. So you let this whole thing play out and your friend die so that we would learn about your glory. And Jesus said, if you continue to believe and you put one foot in front of the next and you face every day and you live as though I am who I say I am, you will get a glimpse of the glory of God even and especially in the most difficult circumstances of life. Verse 41, they took the stone away, and Jesus looked up and said, and I love this part, because basically he's saying, Father, you and I are good. You know, we know what's going on, but I'm doing this for the benefit of the people that are watching so that they know that you and I are good, that you are my Father. And he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe. They may believe that you sent me. This is about me so that they can see you. And Jesus is saying it is worth all of the pain and all of the drama for people to understand my connection to God and learn something about God. And verse 43, he said, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, and he said, Lazarus, come out, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. He couldn't even say anything. from his linen cloths around his mouth. And Jesus said to them, hey, take off your, the grave clothes and let him go. Now, Jesus had to say that because everybody was just stunned. They were in shock. I mean, this guy was in the grave for four days. He's fermenting and smelly, and, and all of a sudden he walks out of there with his grave clothes. They had, Jesus had to say, let him go. Unwrap the guy. And then verse 45 says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. I bet they did. I bet they did. When you see a dead man come out of the grave alive, I mean, everybody in town and in the region who heard the story believed in Jesus. It spread like wildfire. And so we know something from this encounter. That there is nothing that God can't do. Nothing. I mean, to pull a dead guy out of a grave, that's amazing. But the question is, why didn't God do something about that? Why didn't he intervene earlier? Why was he late? I don't know. I'm not God. I know he can. I know sometimes he waits, and I know I can trust him in the meantime. Why? Because if you believe, 
you will see the glory of God. And friends, this was the candle that Jesus handed to the disciples because he knew, he knew there was coming a time when they would watch him get arrested. He would go through a mock trial with no shred of justice. He would be put up on a cross. He would die. He would be placed in a tomb. It would be sealed. He too would be in that tomb for three days and they would have no hope. Many of them abandoned their faith. They scattered. They thought, oh my goodness, what do we do now? The one whom we place our trust in is gone. And then he came out of the grave alive and they remembered if they continue to believe they will see the glory of God. And not only does Jesus give that candle to his disciples this morning, he gives that candle to every one of us here this morning. Would you receive it? Whatever circumstance you go through, if you would hold that candle, and if you would say, if I only will believe, I will see the glory of God. And you will. You will. You can go through life cynical and bitter and you can abandon faith and you can hate God and you can hate the church. Or you can hold on to your faith and hold on to that candle. And if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So what should we conclude from these Three weeks. I would say when God is inattentive, you need to look outside of your circumstances and see what God is doing outside of your world like John did. John was in that prison and wondered, is, is Jesus the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? So when you look outside your circumstances and you see what God's doing in the world, you see God. Secondly, when God is uncooperative and he doesn't heal you, you lean into God's grace because Paul said his grace is sufficient. His power is extended to you in your weakness. And if you claim that and you walk with that, you will see God. And when you feel God is late, you need to search for his glory and you will eventually see the glory of God. Friends, this is what the old saints call deeper teaching. It sounds like just a story, but it is God saying to you that your life matters. Your life matters, and it's difficult, but in the end you'll see God if you trust him. There's a ministry that we call Vantage Point. And Vantage Point helps you to understand your story, God's story, and how it interfaces. Because sometimes you don't think that your story interfaces with God. But if you learn the signs, you will recognize God in everything that happens. Past, present, and future. Friends, you might need to take Vantage Point just 
to understand your life and the glory of God. In a moment, Curtis is coming. And Curtis will perform a spoken word that brings closure to this series where we see faith in the desert. Would you pray with me before Curtis comes? And now, Father, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. I thank you that when we believe in you and trust you in you, even in the dark periods of life, we will see the glory of God. For every person who's suffering and every person who's doubting and every person who is questioning, I pray that they would see the water in the desert. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.